Shart International presents Fresh Talk, conversations about creativity in the 21st century. I'm Kathy Bird, Fresh Art producer. This year, during South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, I went to see the documentary Spark, a Burning Man story. We all know someone who's been to Burning Man. It's mythical. Every summer, thousands of people from around the world gather out on the desert in Nevada to build a temporary city. They make art and party for a whole week. A ritual frenzy on the last night ends in the burning of a giant effigy. Steve Brown and Jesse Dieter are the team that directed and produced Spark. I met them in the Filmmaker's Lounge to learn about how they translated the cult of Burning Man into a beautiful film. When you hear the Spark soundtrack featured in this episode, imagine yourself under a hot desert sun, immersed in an eccentric carnival with 60,000 new friends. We arrived out at this vast plain. I took a stick and I drew a line on the ground. And I said, on the other side of this line, everything will be different. And everything has been different. What about your own history with Burning Man? You must have participated. I first went in 2006. I'd heard about it. Of course, I'm from Silicon Valley, and you hear about uh, Burning Man every year. People come back from the desert and talk about the interesting place, the interesting experience, the parties. Um, and I knew it was sort of this bohemian um, art festival in the desert, and I was curious about it. So I, I went to, to Burning Man for the first time in 2006. I thought I was going to find a lot of uh, people sitting around campfires in the desert playing guitar, and I, I knew you had to bring a gift. Um, so I brought a big backpack full of music, thinking I would go find people and be giving away music. Of course, when I got there, I had no idea. It was like thousands of times bigger than I had imagined, and... Uh, uh, so much going on, it was even hard to find those, those little pockets of people who were actually sitting around playing guitar, but I, I did. Um, but anyways, I was, when I went there the first time, I didn't realize there was an organization. I didn't realize there was an infrastructure. I thought it was sort of an anarchy. Um, but uh, when I got there, I, I was actually at the kind of the main event, and I stepped over a some invisible line someplace, and, and I apparently was in the path of where the fire dancers were going to come through. And people came out of the woodwork and said, what are you doing here? It's not safe. You need to go back on the other side of the line. And, uh, and that's when I kind of dawned on me, gosh, there's an organization, there's an infrastructure there, even though it kind of feels like chaos and anarchy. It's a really well-run, uh, fantastic, interesting event and experience, and I wanted to meet the people behind it. And I gradually kind of found a path to getting to know the, the founders. Um, and then uh, you know, that led to the opportunity to actually to do a film and, and help tell kind of the untold story of, of Burning Man. Jesse Dieter is a seasoned documentary producer. Her last project was Revenge of the Electric Car. How did she become a burner, I wondered. I've been vicariously a burner for years, I mean, through Silicon Valley and uh, Chris Payne, who was the director of Who Killed the Electric Car, and, but I'd never been. And what Steve had that, for me, elevated the story, he had this incredible access to the founders, the creators of, of the actual Burning Man event. And I thought that could be really interesting if we were indeed able to follow them 
very intimately over the course of a year. I saw that there are a number of documentaries about Burning Man. What makes this one different? We literally have unprecedented access as very completely independent filmmakers to the Burning Man organization. There are other films that also feature the artists. Um, and we felt that you couldn't have a film about Burning Man without having the participants and the artists. So we did definitely want to include them, but what we were able to do, and, and we also, and something happens. You know, you always, as again, as a documentary filmmaker, you always are looking for, not that we would have wished the ticket crisis on Burning Man, because they were definitely, that was definitely hard for them, and definitely challenged a lot of things, as you saw, like curation, that type of thing. But we got this wonderful accident, and we happened to be there, and by that point, We'd been filming, what you don't see in this film is all the meetings and the retreats and all these things that we filmed and we were in their houses. You don't see any of that. You just see the little bit that we were able to include, but we've been with them very intimately for the course of the year. And that was the making of the film, the spine of the film. That's something I definitely noticed, that they seemed very tight, very protective, and you were able to, to get past that. Why? were you able to, to make that step further? I, I think that we convinced them or showed them that what our intentions were, that our intentions were to tell kind of the untold story and that we had a lot of respect for what they had done. Um, and, you know, it's a big leap of faith to allow somebody in to tell your story. Um, I initially met the board of Burning Man because I was helping organize a TEDx event out there, the first ever TEDx, Black Rock City. And because TED is uh, another organization that, you know, has a brand and has kind of its own policies and, and Burning Man is kind of its own thing, um, I needed to take that to the board of Burning Man. And it was a lively discussion in the boardroom about, you know, where is Burning Man going and, and can Burning Man stay this kind of, this sort of kind of secret in the desert or is it going to grow and, and, and affect the world in some way? Uh, so that I could see that they were in the middle of this sort of the, the tension and dilemmas related to to their growth and their future, and that was an active conversation in that context. So you could see that there's something w was brewing, and what that really came to a, a head um, while we were filming because you know that growth, they basically they exceeded their capacity um, significantly, and so you know the crisis was really that you know, a lot of people who had been doing it for a long time couldn't get in, they couldn't get tickets just because of the, of the growth. And so that led to lots of big questions about, you know, what really is the essence of Burning Man? What is the future? So all those questions were being asked of themselves, of their legacy of this event while we were filming. That's what made it really interesting. But they trusted us um, to be in all those moments with the cameras rolling, and they realized that it's, this is an important moment in their history, so they let us keep filming. But it's a big leap of faith uh, and a lot of trust. Now, the, probably the most, um, I don't say the most secretive, but the most kind of intimate part of Burning Man and the organization are the people that go out into the desert a couple months before the event and stay a couple months after to make sure that everything is, you know, leave no trace. Um, and that's called the Department of Public Works, the DPW. And that was the, the real, for me, the real kind of turning point of the film um, you know, the founders have been interviewed before, and they've been interviewed on the media before. Um, you know, they, they let us in in an, really an unprecedented way. But what was really unprecedented was when the, the DPW opened up and allowed us to be there on some of their, um, kind of their events and rituals and things that, that had been kind of developed over many, many years that had never, ever been filmed before. Um, 
And so we were out in the desert, you know, two months before <laughs> and filming way after uh, the event was over with this group. And that was very special. So you're talking about what we saw in the film about the big circle with the champagne. That was one of the rituals? That was one of the rituals. That was called the, the golden spike. And that's when they kind of go, they pound a spike into the middle of the desert, They're right at the center of where the event is going to be. And, you know, before that, it's just it's 400 square miles of absolute nothingness. And then they pound one spike in, and that sort of kicks it off. And then a week later, it's called Fence Day, where they get up at you know, 4.30 in the morning uh, before sunrise, and they're out there. They lay nine miles of fence in one day, um, and it's just massive effort. And then the trucks start rolling out onto the, into the playa uh, with containers full of, of things that are starting to build the infrastructure uh, of Burning Man. Um, and then that just keeps going as they keep sort of building. The, they're building a city. They're building a city for this needs to, to be able to serve 60,000 people. So it's a huge endeavor. And very few people have seen that. You, co- you come there for a week when it's already all kind of set up. Um, and people are bringing their art projects, but you don't really see all of the work that goes into making it possible. So we were there witnessing all of that. I saw when I was watching the film, you captured a myriad of different stories about Burning Man. And I'm wondering uh, what story do you think was the most important, the core story that you took from this experience? So we, we subtitled the film A Burning Man Story, not the Burning Man story, because you know, we, we just got one little slice of it and there are thousands and thousands of stories. But what we were looking for is a recurring theme. And what, what I've seen out there is a recurring theme um, in stories that come out of Burning Man. And the story usually is one of, of people feeling freedom to be themselves, sometimes for the first time. Um, freedom and sort of this feeling of permission to follow their own passion and act on their own dream. So a lot of times new people come to Burning Man for the first time and they say, wow, I had no idea. Then they get involved in somebody's art project, just helping out, helping carry the lumber, helping do something. And then then they have their own idea and they say, you know what, next year I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Um, And that's a very recurring theme. That's what kind of makes it fresh and alive every year because every year there are new people coming, being inspired to do some new project that no one has ever thought of before. So that, that theme of sort of finding this sort of call to act on your own dream, to go create something, which leads to a lot of work and a lot of challenges as you try to manifest in the world this thing that was in your head. Um, and then, you know, the next year you actually show up and you actually build something. That's a recurring theme and that's what we were covering. So all of the stories we were covering were people who had some big project. They had some big dream, whether it was making Burning Man itself happen again. <laughs> or making Burn Wall Street happen, or Katie making her heart um, happen. We followed that from conception, from her idea and little model of it, all the way to, to completion. Um, John LaGrace, one of the, the people in the film, his, his dream, his project was to make this um, big event happen, this TEDx Black Rock City, making that happen again in a very special way. And it was a huge, ambitious project. And every one of these uh, people in the film had some big project that they were working on and a huge amount of challenges and struggles to make it happen, and then they actually made it happen. So it was the same story repeated over and over again through sort of different people's lives. Burning Man is dealing with a huge dilemma. Too many people. Black Rock City is maxed out. Last year, they started to sell tickets through a lottery. They had to cap attendance. How does this impact Burning Man principles? 
I think that what happened to Burning Man this year is much like that seminal year of 1996. The founders were really forced to evaluate and assess each and every one of those principles, and and they were all threatened and under fire in some way this year. Like the principle, for example, of radical inclusion was completely under fire. And, you know, community, their community was, as they say in the movie, was literally the fabric of their community was being torn apart by this thing that seems like a, a small event, you know, oh, they can't get a ticket to an event, which as Larry Harvey would say, yeah, if you can't get a ticket to a football game, it doesn't wrench your community apart. But this is such a tightly woven community that if you only have a quarter of your camp of a couple hundred people showing up to make this big art project, you're not going to be able to do it. And that's what a lot of these guys plan their entire year around. And it is truly a way of life. So to, to watch as these things were kind of all, they're, they're basically, they crystallized more than ever, I think. And that's kind of what Larry Harvey is saying at the end of the movie. When he calls it, he jokingly refers to the ticket kerfluffle. And he's saying that this is, this is actually the best thing that's ever happened to us. And I think what he means there is that it kind of crystallized who we are. Like it's, yes, it isn't enough to be a spectator. You must participate because now, you know, some people will be new and that will be wonderful. And you, you might win the lottery or you, you may get a ticket, but... Anybody who really wants to go can go, but they have to participate through an art project. And that was, that was really interesting to watch them kind of figure that out. And they let us be there and they let us be at, by their sides as they're literally in the, they're having arguments amongst themselves about what does it mean to be Burning Man. Steve wants to be sure everyone understands the non-commercial culture of Burning Man. It's always been non-commercial. I mean, that's something that people, you, people kind of come up to me and say, oh, it's changed, it's gotten commercial. It's, it's not commercial. It's never been commercial. Um, and it's just grown. It's just gotten big. Um, so it's always been sort of a nonprofit. They just happen to have been structured as an LLC, and they're transitioning to a not-for-profit entity just as a way of, of being sustainable. So they're in the middle of that, that transition, um, and it's really more about just sort of how they're going to organize and structure because the only reason it exists that we, what we learned by doing this film I mean the only reason why it's sustained as long as it has it has this kind of core group of people that are so committed over such a long period of time it's very unusual I mean it's very unusual to see kind of a startup you know organization that stayed together for so long and been able to do so much. At some point, though, you know, you need new leadership and you need to, to grow and change. And we were filming in the middle of that transition. And what's interesting is the transformation of the organization to be from something that was sort of a smaller, closed system to something that's larger and global. That's what we were witnessing. We talked about the inevitable challenge of funding an independent film. The funding issue always comes up, like how do you fund it? And this being South by Southwest, we're hearing all the time about this film got funding through Kickstarter or Indiegogo. I'm curious how you gathered funding for this. Uh, It's interesting. I thought you were going to ask about funding of how all these art projects funded. Burning Man actually gives grants to, to some artists, but there are actually lots and lots of Kickstarter campaigns and Indiegogo campaigns for the art projects. Uh, So a lot more crowdfunding is actually enabling these collaborative art projects to happen. We couldn't do that for the film because you kind of have to go out and tell all 
to, to crowdsource something, you have to tell all what you're doing. But we were sort of trusted with our cameras in the middle of a very kind of private, intimate kind of story. We couldn't tell what we were doing. We needed to keep that private. So the only way to, to fund it was to, to really find private funding um, to, to put it together and make it happen. How did Steve and Jesse stay true to their commitment to make a real documentary? This is a completely independent film. I think, you know, they, after we were there for a year filming them, they, they probably were a little bit nervous about, what are these guys doing? There were a lot of people in the Burning Man organization who saw it for the very first time at South by Southwest, and, and I know people were nervous about, what are we doing, what are we doing? Um, but, I, you know, I think that, that what they trusted us is that, you know, we told them that the story we wanted to tell was a story about acting on, on a dream and what happens next. And, and, and we told them that, you know, that, that's going to be painful, it's going to be hard, because anybody who acts on a big dream is going to run into challenges. That dream is going to collide with the world. So we convinced them to really be open and honest about those challenges, but it's, it must have been scary for them because they had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> I'm curious, now that you've made your first film, what other stories you want to tell? Are you exhausted and you just don't want to think about it right now? Or did it give you a lot of other ideas? No shortage of ideas. I really do like the general theme of people following their passion, acting on a big dream, trying to do something original and new and creative in this world. Kind of like what Burning Man sees as their mission, I think, is, is helping people follow their passion. I think it's a really interesting space to be in, and I think there's a, it's a very rich space to explore with film because it's the beginning of a lot of interesting stories. Jesse, how did it influence how you see yourself moving in the future professionally? This film took over my life <laughs> for the past year and a half. I had initially, when Steve and I met, I had begun a film about Tunisia after the revolution. And um, I literally kind of put that film on hold because this project came along and this was the biggest challenge I had actually ever uh, taken on. Um, I kind of feel like Steve and I were like Otto <laughs> and Burnwall Street, kind of doing the biggest, baddest, most crazy thing we could possibly ever do. I felt very much that way. And, you know, and we had to very consciously make that decision. Both he and I kind of had to jump off a cliff together, literally, like in a very big way. So. I feel that um, the film has absolutely given me, uh, you know, just more confidence to go back to my Tunisia film and um, and, and get it done in a, in a different way and to kind of trust. I mean, I had to learn to trust our, our crew and work with these guys um, on a project that was much more difficult to film for a lot of reasons than, than anything I'd ever worked on before. So. Absolutely. I mean, I think that this has been um, an incredible challenge and an incredible growing experience, and I've learned, I've learned a lot from it. Yeah. Burning Man's cult following is going to love this film, but who else will want to see it? We were looking for stories that we thought could resonate very broadly, because the story of being yourself, finding your passion, acting on a dream is something that anybody can relate to and uh, it just happens to happen in a very colorful way in the context of Burning Man but that's a very general human story that's something that, that we all struggle with this sort of dilemma between um, you know our, our passion and what we really want to do with our lives versus you know paying the rent <laughs> that's sort of like one of the fundamental human dilemmas that is probably even more so today 
um, it's a, something that people are really asking themselves, you know, what should I be doing? Is it possible to really be who I want to be and to, to, to be creative and go in a creative direction? Um, my next job with the, the film is distribution and uh, the whole business side of it. And, and I see that that's changing radically right now. And so I'm looking at, you know, what are the creative new ways of, of taking a film like this to a wide audience? Um, you know, the traditional model, I don't think, serves uh, films like this very well. Um, stories like this very well, but they need to be told and they need to be out there widely. So uh, I think we're going to have a, a unique approach to that, and uh, we're committed to making sure that uh, I'm committed to making sure that this reaches a, a, a wide audience. I've always wanted my my 96 year old grandmother in New Jersey to enjoy this film as much as any burner, and to have this to take have her own lessons for it. You know, I think that it, that we really intend this film to have very universal appeal. And I, I actually trust, trust Steve. Steve's done some amazing things in terms of getting the film funded, in terms of having the vision. I, I'm completely confident that, that the film will get pretty much global outreach. I think they're going to be a variety of ways, and I think that he's going to leverage every single one of them to make it happen. You people here today are the people from this moment on that creates the framework and the cauldron that will cook their soul. You've been listening to Fresh Talk with Steve Brown and Jesse Dieter, creators of the documentary Spark, A Burning Man Story. Read more about their project on freshartinternational.com. We have a Facebook page, and I tweet every day at freshartintl. I'd love to connect with you there. Thanks for listening to this Fresh Talk. <laughs>